This podcast is produced by CDSS, the Country Dance and Song Society. CDSS provides programs and resources like this podcast that support people in building and sustaining vibrant communities through participatory dance, music, and song. Want to support this podcast and our other work? Visit cdss.org to donate or become a member today. One and a half around. Now below one couple and forward six. Look around to the right when you balance. Look around to your right and you balance once again. Swing your partner. Hey there, I'm Mary Wesley, and this is From the Mic, a podcast about North American social dance calling. Nicely done. Through conversations with callers across the continent, we'll explore the world of square, contra, and community dance callers. Why do they do it? How did they learn? What's their role on stage and off in shaping our dance communities? What can they tell us about the corner of the dance world that they know and love the best? Each episode, we'll talk to a different caller, but they all have something in common. A spark, a desire to lead, to share joy, to invite movement, to stand in that special place between the band and a room full of dancers or people who don't yet know that they're dancers. And from the mic say, find a partner, let's dance. Hi from the mic listeners. I'm back from a little winter break from the podcast and I've got a delightful conversation to share with you today. Since the pun is unavoidable, I'll just embrace it. You're about to hear from one of my dear friends and most important mentors. You guessed it, it's the man behind the orange glasses, the one and only Will Mentor. Will started calling Contra and Square Dances at the Jefferson County Fairgrounds in Fairfield, Iowa at 8 p.m. on January 7, 1995. Since then, he's called dances, dance weekends, and week-long dance camps all over the United States, Canada, and Europe. Now from Northern Vermont, Will is known for his clear teaching, upbeat wit, and relaxed stage presence. He loves to choreograph evenings with a variety of dances and tempos that at times surprise and always delight. All this while keeping intact his guiding principle as a caller. It's about the dancers. Since we live close by, I interviewed Will in his studio at the school where he's an associate professor of fine art. We dove into his formative experiences, calling for his small community in Iowa, and looked at his trajectory from neighborhood caller to the National Dance Weekend Circuit. He shared his thoughts on dance leadership, his excitement about patterns and choreography, his advice on working with bands, and more. Here's Will. Will Mentor, welcome to From the Mic. Hi, Mary. It's great to be here with you. You were um, someone that I talked to a lot when I was getting ready to start this podcast and, and imagining what kind of things we could learn from, from talking to callers across the country. 
And so I'm really happy to, to be here with you today. Great. Thanks for making time. Well, thank you for having me. Do you want to start by just telling me how you found your way to the caller's mic? Yeah. Um, very briefly, um, in high school when I was 16, I happened on a banjo contest at a fair in, in Blanford, Massachusetts. And for two hours, I was mesmerized, then completely forgot about it. A bunch of years later, um, I'm, I'm in my early 20s, and a friend said there's a barn dance at the Greenwich Pottery House, which had an upstairs meeting room. Mesmerized for two hours, loved it, loved all everything about it, forgot about it. 1993, um, I was living in Fairfield, Iowa, but I was um, spending some time in Japan. And I was away from my then wife and, and daughter who were back in Fairfield for three and a half months. And when I got back, Laura said that she had been um, going to this social dance every Friday night. Um, and so I was going. <laughs> um, and so I went and um, um, it was really fun. Um, but there were some changes that happened over um, the next few weeks that I don't need to get into. But anyway, what ended up happening was six weeks later, we ended up in Toba's um, parlor. And we're all in our 30s. And we decided that we were going to do English country dancing. And Jennifer was our leader and our caller. And so we op she opened up the book, and we had CDs and cassettes. And we danced to her calling. And when we couldn't figure it out, we literally put our heads together and looked at the Playford book and then thought about the music and started to figure it out. So I did that for about a year. Jennifer was the caller. Sometimes a guy named John Stimson would call again. This is in Fairfield, Iowa. But I was going back and forth to New York City. And I started going to the English country dances in New York City. and got to, my first dance was with Frieda Metz Herman, and she was kind of imperial and um, was sort of get cranky with the dancers and kind of, kind of scared me a little bit, but I worked up the nerve to go up after the dance and tell her that I lived in Iowa, but I was in New York a lot, and <clears throat> we were doing English country dancing back in Fairfield, Iowa, and I thought several of the dances I thought were really fun, and could I collect them? Well, she went from being imperial to being my grandmother, and she just took me in like a long-lost grandson um, and gave not only gave me her, her dances and her book, but helped me to you know, describe to me how, to, how to, I might want to call them. I wasn't thinking about being a caller. I was just collecting dances for Jennifer. And when I went back to Fairfield, Jennifer said, well, if you're going to collect them, you might as well call them. Um, and in that spirit of putting our heads together, in a way, the group of dancers, I studied those dancers a lot, but the group of dancers put their heads together to help me call. So that I, said that's, I started probably calling English like somewhere in 94. And so you had this sort of 
collective that was that was helping bring you along into that role? Well, we were all friends. Yeah, no one named it anything. It didn't have any kind of structure that was spoken about. Um, but it was we were we we started the dance uh, with, with a leader with Jennifer, but Jennifer was so friendly and and and, and knew that we all, yeah, we'd all put our heads together sometimes, you know, and figure it out. Um, and that, that informs my calling. Yeah. How so? Well, you know, I often say from the microphone that it takes a village, usually when I screw up a walkthrough, but I actually use humor a lot to, you know, when Mary Poppins says a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Well, I don't know if I'm delivering medicine, but saying things that are slightly intimate from the microphone or kind of personal, but if it's couched in humor or couched in like, it takes village or, you know, that sort of delivery, it's easier, but it's also profound. So I think humor is something I use a lot. And when I go back and thinking about when I first started calling, I was pretty comfortable at the microphone and I would sort of self-critique as I call. <laughs> Which can be very disarming for people. And it was such a safe place to learn how to call. We were all friends. So it was like 30 of us in, in Toba's house. Hmm. Yeah. And so how did you, how did you continue your, your path outside your circle of friends? Yeah, well, so for a while, I just did that. You know, I was... Really, um, I was busy um, outside of social dance, and I was going back and forth to New York City a lot, and so I wouldn't always be there. And you know, um, and so when I was in Fairfield, I um, I started to help with the calling. I didn't. I never called the full night. Um, again, that sort of collective, friendly, relaxed feeling in our group, and then new people started coming. You know, into it, it started to grow a little bit. Um, we had Bare Necessities come, and Jacqueline Schwab called. And, and at some point, it's hard to remember, it was either 95 or 96, um, Jennifer said, well, there's a guy named Ted Sinella and Darren Armstrong. They're two callers, and they call Contras and Squares. And they're going to be in Kentucky. Um, and my family's going to go, why don't you, Laura and Madeline, go? So we all went. And I joined the Contra um, College Workshop. Had you had you been aware of Contras and um, Squares? I I knew what square dancing was. I had been to a single evening of Contra dancing in a barn. Like it was really funky. And when I think back to it, I'm surprised that we didn't bring the barn down. We were on the second floor, and the thing was shaking. Um. So I knew that, and then I went to the workshop, and Jennifer said, well, why don't you, before I went, she said, why don't you go, do the college workshop, and then you'll be the American caller. <laughs> and you have to know Jennifer. She's kind of enlightened and amazing. And so I don't ever want that to come across like she was bossy or dictatorial, but she was beautiful and wonderful. And, and I just said, of course. And so I went and came back. So it was one of those deals where it's the day after Christmas through New Year's 
day. And I think the weekend after that, we rented the fairgrounds hall in Fairfield, Iowa. And I had Ted Snell's book. I had no cards, but I, I had called English and I'm kind of fearless. And it was all friends. So, right. So it's not, there was nothing to lose. And we had um, a contra dance with a, a, an old time band. And I called half squares and half contras and I was brand new at it. Um, and we just sort of went from there. And um, uh, it wasn't, it's probably like a few months that we had this crazy contra schedule where we couldn't, it was almost like me as a caller, but it was also the dancers just couldn't get enough of it. So I called to live music every other Saturday night, but then I called to CDs every Wednesday night for two hours. And that's a lot of calling. And there's no no one else calling Contra. So I just got, and squares. So I just got, I just did it and did it and did it and did it and got better fast. Yeah. So that was, that was for about six to eight months. Yeah, I'm curious that you had this, this friend group and at least one person who was already a dance leader, but that, that you, uh, you know, you became the one who stepped in into that role out of the group. Did you did you feel a pull to it or did, you know was it just kind of by default that you had you had collected these dances and you seemed like someone could do it, mm. you know, and and what kept you doing it? Well, you know, um I think I I think I do when I get interested in something, I want to know everything about it and and one of the things to know about it is how to call it, and how to teach it. Um it was around then that, you know, my town didn't have a recycling center. Uh, this is bang back in the 90s, and it was in Fairfield, Iowa, a small town in, in Iowa. Um, and it's not like I, I suggested to people that there should be, I started one. <laughs> so I think that's that kind of, you know, and I got three or four people, and we had a committee, but I was the person, and I had done it. I drove all over and I met with several people who had these recycling centers where we could bring our stuff. You know, I just organized the whole thing. And I think some of us are just drawn to do that. Um, so was it in me? Probably. Was it aided by the welcoming atmosphere that I found myself in? Yeah, it was. Um, but once I started on something, I'm relentless. And, you know, when you live in Fairfield, Iowa, you know, just to go into town for us, it was eight miles round trip. No, it was eight miles each way. So I was in the car a lot and I had a cassette player and I put on Tony Parks's, it was like heating up the something or other. It was, it was a, it was a cassette that he called to. And I just mimicked his calling and I counted out music, both old time and then with Yankee ingenuity. And I counted, I counted. And you get good fast when you get obsessive and that's who I am. I'm pretty obsessive about it. So. How, how much were you aware of like the larger scene? So like Ted Sinella's coming through, you got a hold yeah. of a Tony Parks tape, yeah. you know, did you have a, did you situate what you were doing in, in like a larger picture. Yeah, again, so the other person in that group was John Stimson. John Stimson grew up 
with a stepfather who was, I don't remember his name, but he was, he would go to Pinewoods every summer. And his stepfather led, I want to say he led Morris dancing. And he was a name, Bob something or other, I can't remember. And John was also on a performance in a performance dance group. And so John could flat foot, he could clog, he could um, do English step dancing. He did English like, you know, Scottish, contrast, squares. I mean, he was incredible. So he was another big resource. Um, and when I got to, um, when I got to Winter in the Woods, which was that six day event with um, Don Armstrong and um, Ted Snell, it was in Kentucky. Um, I actually asked Ted if I could call him from Iowa. And he said, yes. And so the week after we all got back, I called him with a list of questions about calling. And so I got a lot of the bigger picture from Jennifer, because she had been around a little bit, from John. And then I got a little bit of calling history from Ted, even as we were talking about just how to call, the mechanics of calling. And then, you know, I was going to New York. So then I started going to the contra dances and it started to build from there. Yeah. Do you remember anything specific about that phone call with Ted? That's, oh, what gosh. a great opportunity. Yeah. Um, several things I remember very specifically. Um, one was how precise he was with words. When I was at Winter in the Woods, he would walk around and without, he probably wouldn't do it now with, with all of our concerns about consent, but he'd just walk up to someone and swing them, like vigorously, big smile on his face. And, um, and so, you know, what I remember was that, was that underneath efficiency was fun. And that, so, you know, I was talking to him about things like, because I was calling squares too, you know, the timing and contra dancing and that kind of agreement that dancers and callers have around contra dancing, right and left through is eight beats, even if you're early, you know, the chain is, is, is eight beats even if you're early and sort of wait if you're early. And, and, and so the difference between that and square dancing, right? But things like that. But, but the, the, the memory is that it's all service. Like why you get good at language, why you learn about like patter calling and when not to patter and all these things is that you're serving the dancers, that, that you are responsible for what, gets heard and what gets heard has an influence on what happens on the floor and what happens on the floor should be fun. So that's mm. what I remember. Mm. What a gift. Yeah. And did you stay connected with Ted as you? Unfortunately, we had four or five hour long conversations and then he told me that he wasn't feeling well. And then later that year he died. Mm. So um, it's kind of one of those things where you know, I'm, I'm still mostly in the Midwest, and then he was in, in Maine, and I didn't know him that well, you know, but we, we got to know each other in, in a weird version of intimacy, like caller talk, but I didn't know him as a person, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was sad. Yeah, great that you got 
got was amazing. what you got. It was really amazing. Yeah. yeah. It informs my calling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So you, you have this amazing nurturing sort of foundational community that you're learning in. Mm-hmm. And then your world is also opening up a little bit. You start dancing in New York. So yeah, what I'm, are the next? I'm, I'm dancing in New York. So I would have to find out actually when Ted died to know the year that I'm talking about. But I think it was that summer that Laura and I and Madeline went to Pinewood's Family Week. And Susan Kevra was one of the callers. Um, and I really love her calling. And oh, my God, I mean, English. American, musician, singer. I mean, and then also just a really brilliant person. Yes. Oh, my God. And so um, I was, you know, it's camp and you're having a good time and I'm also co-parenting. You know, <laughs> you know it's like, you know, and so I spent as much time as I could um, sort of observing. And I remember in the afternoon, uh, she had a square dance session. Only eight of us came. So it was eight of us every afternoon. And that was, I learned so much about square dance calling um, by dancing and listening to her call. Um, So then I got back and then I started to call in the Midwest. And the very, very first time I ever called away from Fairfield was in Valparaiso, Indiana, and it was dramatic um, that it was in a horse barn in outside of Valparaiso, Indiana, and I was driving from Fairfield, no internet back then, no nothing. And I don't even, to be perfectly honest, I can't remember how I would even get weather. It's kind of funny sitting here with you right now, like how did I, but I knew, somehow I knew, maybe I called a couple people that it was going to be inclement weather that night. So I got there really early because um, it was a, yeah, it was like six to eight hour drive. It was a commitment. It was going to be a New Year's Eve. And I was going, I, I went alone and I was told that there's a list and that when you get there, you put your name on the list and so of callers. And so there's a list of callers, and my name was first because I got there so early um, because I was worried about the weather. And sure enough, you know, by the time 8 o'clock rolls around, it's been sleeting, and it's not nice out. It's, it's slick. It's slippery. It's really bad weather. But we're all in this beautiful, just great barn. There's tons of food. We know we're in it for the night. It wasn't going to go to 8 to 11. It was going to be more um, like till like, til we drop is essentially what it was. So I'm first call. But the guy who owned the barn was a doctor, is a doctor. I don't even know if he's still around anymore. But he was going to call the first two, so I was second. So the doctor gets up, and just like the callers, there's no ban ban. There's bands and they're good. they get our slots or something like that and he's calling a very moderate very smart choice it was a moderate tempo circle dance not hard possibly a mixer i can't remember and a woman went down 
And she was down for a long time. Now the doctor went over and a couple of nurses went over and we all went into the back room. She didn't live. Now she was alive when she left the hall, barely. But remember, it's very inclement weather. It's in the country outside Valparaiso. It took the ambulance 45 minutes to an hour just to get there. Now we, she was in good hands because, you know, but, but I think so. Um, um, I had never seen a person die, but I walked past her and she looked white as a sheet. And a couple of the nurse, I knew one of the nurses and she said, yeah, no, I don't know. We did our best. <laughs> so we're all in the back. There's probably 120 of us. And we're like, I think we're going to continue because she was a friend of a friend kind of thing. Like no one really knew her. I don't know what we would have done if it was someone that was really integral, but we just decided it's bad weather. We're here. We're going to continue. Okay. So the doctor walks up to me. He goes, well, you're next. Oh, my gosh. And, and I looked. And I said, oh, I thought you were going to do two. He goes, nah, I don't want to do the second one. <laughs> so, so I'm walking up to the microphone. And a friend came up from Fairfield who, who came in a different car and whispered in my ear, do you want a suggestion? And I said, sure. And she said, when you get up to the mic to take hands for, I mean, I knew that, of course, but maybe say something like, hug your neighbor, hug your partner. And, and I said that, and it was a really, it was received really well, and, and, and kind of changed the mood a little bit. And so, um, so I was my first, dance that I called <laughs> not in Fairfield. Unbelievable. Oh my gosh. Uh, of and, all the things to sort of anticipate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not and it was a list. really fun night. Um, I remember I had written a dance and Al Olson was there who was a, Al Olson wrote a million contra dances um, and he was um, contemporary with Ted Sinella and bunch of you who might be listening to this podcast will know who he is or was. Um, and I met him and then got into a 30 minute conversation with him because he's just, he's so obsessive and wonderful. And it was a really interesting night to say the least. And I enjoyed it other than ob the obvious. Hmm. It was kind of interesting to, um, to go from not only like, knowing everybody, but being pretty close friends with everybody, I mean, to not knowing anyone and, and having the language be really similar and having the whole point of the gathering being about fun and to live music and dancing and eating and, you know, the whole thing was just great. So, yeah. Nice. And then I started to, Fairfield, Iowa was a four hour drive to St. Louis. It was about a six, I'm guessing it was a six hour drive to Valparaiso. Guessing, I think it was about a four hour drive to Champaign-Urbana and about a five hour drive to Chicago. So it was kind of equidistant. And I started calling in those different, I think I met people at Valparaiso and they said, oh, well you should contact so-and-so. And, -so. and I, what I was being told without being told was you should contact so-and-so is we think you're a good enough caller that you might want to try these other places so that 
Um, and I did. And I started going around to these different dances. And um, it was a blast. It was all up-tempo up old time. Right. Everyone. That's what Every you, That's what you got in that part of the country. Yeah. yeah. I remember one night. So it was like a couple of years later, and I was at um, breaking up Thanksgiving. I can't remember. I think Chirp Smith might have been in the first band and, and, and the first dance. I was dancing with someone who I won't name because I don't think she would appreciate it, but she was from another place that had mostly um, New England-style music or, you know. And I asked her to dance, and she said yes, so we lined up, walked through, and then pedal to the metal old time and her eyes got really wide halfway through the dance and she said is it going to be like this all weekend i'm like i think they're warming up (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh and that's what that's what i was used to yeah did you at so at what point did you recall you started out talking about these these moments of sort of being captivated by by like banjo music or you know Was this like, did you have a full circle moment at some point, you know, that you you recalled those earlier moments, like you didn't know that that was going to become something that was so present in your life? I did. I did um, remember the banjo contest when I was in Valparaiso. Um, I might have remembered it. The old time band in Fairfield was, um, they were a, a good band. The other band that I called with, was Tim Britton on the Ellen Pipes. Um, and that was, that he, he would lift everybody off the floor in a good way. Um, we had Yankee Ingenuity and Tony Parks come out for our dance weekend. And um, um, I had asked Tony, like, let's give Yankee Ingenuity a break and maybe you'll call a session in the afternoon with this guy named Tim Britton. He plays the Ellen Pipes. And I think Tony said, well, I'll try it. And I'll never forget this, when at the end of that session, Tony came up to me and he said, Tim Britton, anytime, any place, sign me up. It's probably my language more than Tony's, but because um, we all knew how good he was and he was great for playing for dancing. And I, what I wasn't completely aware of until I was, was that I was getting trained and hearing two really different kinds of music. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was, that was amazing to, to hear, but I counted, I, I would, I would drive to places and count out one funny story. I met Sam Bartlett at some point. I can't remember when and where, and you know how Sam is so up. And he goes, Oh, Will Mentor. He goes, God, the old time bands love you. And then he pauses and he goes, they love you because you'll do squares to crooked tunes. And I, and I sort of paused and I said, Sam, I said, what? He goes, what's a crooked tune? <laughs> and so sometimes naivete can be a great thing, you know. I didn't even know what I was doing in that regard. But I knew that I was calling, like, I don't remember them ever playing a crooked tune for early Western or a New England square, but for the Appalachian stuff, for the Southern stuff, they would do that. So much to learn so quickly, right? So good. But I think it did come full circle to that. And, and I remember the barn dance. But you know, Mary, what the real full circle is, 
is that we're drawn to this because we find pleasure in it. And, and there's no rhyme or reason why I was mesmerized by that banjo contest. It just was. No one, I didn't grow up in the tradition. I didn't grow up around musicians. I didn't grow up around anyone who played the banjo. Isn't that wild? Yeah. You can just, out of the blue, you're mesmerized. Yeah, yeah. A moment where you just you, you know, forget you, yourself. You know, it's a real full circle moment. I might get a little emotional here. Um, it's Pete. Oh, yeah. And um, Pete Sutherland. Well, dear. you know, I, um, the second quiet contra that I called, which is the, I asked the dancers not to make any sense, was Pete solo on the banjo. And I remember I was in Toronto, and this is, I don't know, it's all, time is so hard. But let's, let's say it was five years ago, six years ago. And um, I asked put the posse, you know, would you be upset if Pete played solo banjo for this one contra dance? Um, and, and they said no. So I talked to Pete about it. And um, so if people don't know, uh, it's something that I did, I've done like four or five times. Um, where I asked the dancers not to make any sound verbally. And so all we hear is the shuffle of feet and the rustle of clothes and, and quiet music. Um, and so um, I'd asked Pete, I was in Toronto at a dance weekend, and I asked Pete, would you do this? Um, and he said, sure. And he played the banjo. It was really quiet. It was really quiet, quiet banjo. And that was a full circle moment because back, way back as a high school kid, not knowing anything, and I'll go all those years of, you know, it's, it's probably like, well, it's, it's 75, it's 25 plus another 15. It's like 40 years later, I'm with this preeminent musician kind of experimenting with the form, which is something we should get to. <laughs> Definitely. With this new neighbor, balance, strength. Diagonal, slice left, back away to shadow two, star by the right, three places round, shadow one, pull by left, there's your partner, balance time. Straight. Circle to the left, three quarters round, pass through new neighbor, dose do So it's so, I mean, it's so, it's so great to hear about your formative yeah, thanks. moments and stories, especially because you were such a big part of mine. Oh, remember that day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you, cause you were kind of like, you were kind of like my, one of my, you know, one of my Ted Snells. You were, you were someone that I just went up to when I was just first kind of figuring it all out and, and curious and, and you just said, well, why don't you just. Come call a contra dance. Yeah. I'm calling in Montpelier. Come call one. <laughs> and as you know, it didn't go great to it's start. Totally my fault. But you always say that, which yeah. is very kind. Yeah. Well, no, but the, the, it was an old. So for those folks who are listening to this, I'm calling a contra dance in Montpelier with an old time band, and um, I had called with a lot of old time, and I think. I was just taking that for granted. And so, had you ever called a dance before? 
That was the first time I had called with real, with real. Yeah, that was the first time I had called with real dancers. Yeah. I had just been learning. I had been listening to some recordings. I had been calling, practicing calling to recordings. Yeah, yeah and so I, I, you know, Montpelier is a perfect place for you. I mean, you're a Vermonter and it's friendly. And so, Mary, why don't you call a dance? And she gets up there and... What I should have done is said to the band, because again, sometimes, especially that particular old time band wasn't always so clearly phrased. I just should have picked something like an Arkansas Traveler and phrased the heck out of it. Well, they were playing a tune with barely any phrasing at all. And it was just rolling, rolling, rolling. And I was dancing and Mary, was, you were doing your best. <laughs> and it was slowly kind of getting away from <laughs> And that's why it was on me, because I think you would have, you would have, it would have been perfect with a well-faced tune. Come on. And for and four potatoes to yeah, start. That was the, the no. Four, they oh just took off. Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that the Montpelier Contradance changed their guest calling policy after. I don't know about that, that, but what <laughs> I what I do remember saying, what I do remember saying, was I said to Pete that Mary Wesley went up there. And it was pretty clear to me that she could call. I should have set up the music better. She did it. It got it, it got away. From, you know, the music and the calling started to separate. Dance ended. She walked off like nothing had happened. And I thought, oh, she's going to be an awesome caller. Because <laughs> you had presence. And, you know, I've always, I think I've said this to you before, I've always thought of you as an old soul. And... That was old soul behavior, which was like what I call it is in the in the in the immediate moment, you have a long view. So I'm sure that there was some feeling inside you, but but you also always carry that long view with you. Um, and I thought, oh, she's awesome. Mm. Well, you know, I think it also it also helped having you there on the yeah. floor, you yeah. know, knowing you were there and also calling in a community where, yeah. I was known where I knew people, yeah. where there there was that support. The crowd yeah. cheered yeah. when I yeah. <laughs> when I walked mm -hmm. away. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. But yeah. then you, the next dance you called, I'm sure was perfect. I <laughs> think the next one I called was in the Moncton, Vermont Volunteer Fire Department with with uh, Pete, Pete Sutherland yeah. and at the time Karen Billings, now now yeah. Rose Diamond playing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was just, your phrasing was there and it was all perfect. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah. the, you know, I, I thought when I think back to it, you know, it's a little bit like, um, extracting one of those little lessons, you know, and like, if you're going to invite someone to call to the stage, talk to the band, you know what I mean? Like my, me talk. actually. So, you know, I remember inviting I, I, I was out in the Midwest and I was with Dugan Murphy and Dugan's a really good caller. Um, and I heard him call a little bit in the Midwest. I was doing, I was living on the East coast then, but I was doing a weekend out there and we were hanging out and he was mentioning to me that he might move out to the East coast. I said, well, you should, um, you know, if you need anything, call me. And I mean it, like, I'm not just saying that. So he called me and I just said, great. I'm going to be calling in, Concord on a Monday night in Concord. Um, and I'll ask if you can come and call too. 
because as soon as people hear you call, they're going to want to invite you because you're so good. Um, and that night, I, I can't remember who was playing. It was not Yankee Ingenuity, but I just said, he's a really good caller, but let's make the tune super phrase because of that time with you, right? And, and, and so that's the great thing about this is that there's space in folk to make mistakes and to get better. It, it's not like thousands of dollars are on the line and people are just going to go, you know, just get all upset about it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's part of it. I think that, you know, it's it's trying it out, participating. That's what we do. Yeah. So anyway, that was. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And these people who end up being, you know, a phone call away. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's really so, so accessible, you know. That's and- a really good point that Ted was not only, quote, the dean of callers, but. You know, he was in this whole other stratosphere, and he was a call away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we've kind of started at the at the beginning, yeah. so maybe now let's come at it from from the other end. So you know, right now, I when I think of you, I really think of you as um, a traveling caller. Yeah, you know, in yeah. a really big way, and yeah. especially in this moment, coming out of out of pandemic times yeah. as we are slowly yeah slowly doing that um I, i'm seeing you on the road a lot um so what's that like for you and yeah. how how'd you get there yeah i mean um that all began somewhere around 2010 where the allure of calling weekends and starting to see myself as um, a person that might want to travel to do it, like seriously travel, um, that I, you know, I, I had a daughter and I was traveling to be with Wendy and Alice, who's my partner and, and, and daughter in Cambridge, and I was teaching in Vermont. I was busy, you know, it was like teach up here and then go down there um, and uh, making art and calling with a big, the, the four and things and I kind of decided that I wanted to I wanted to give one up and I'm not wasn't going to give up my family so I gave up art I I the allure of it but the, the pleasure of it was ebbing and and calling was getting ever more interesting to me so I I remember um um quitting painting I just quit and so all that energy that I had towards painting went into thinking about calling and coming up with programming and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I let everybody know that I was kind of interested in doing weekends. And to be perfectly honest, I don't, 2010, I just, it's a number I just pulled out of a hat. I have no idea about, I really, if you said, no, it was 2008, it was 2006, or it was two, whatever, I don't remember. But Early 2000s. At some say. point, at some point, um, you know, I had been to some dance weekends, and um, and that was also something that was growing. And, you know, you and I could talk about the effects of dance weekends on local dances, and, you know, we, we there's, a, there's a whole other uh, conversation to have. Anyway... Um, I just put all this energy into having the repertoire to do it. Um, 
And, you know, years later, I was, I was um, teaching calling at Camp Cavell. It was a week-long session. And we had a meal where we talked about calling weekends. And the first thing I brought up was, I, you know, I was, I was, the, I was teaching the, the course, so I kind of started it off by saying, um, well, this, you know, this repertoire and this, this and that, but can you get time off from work? Do you hate flying? Um, you know, do you operate well tired? Um, there's other things to calling, you know, weekends and then eventually weeks that you don't quite think about. And are you comfortable sleeping in someone else's house? Um, you know, all sorts of things that you may not think about until you do it. But I, I guess, you know, if I think about it, um, maybe it's just in me, you know, like just after a little while of English dancing, I was calling and just a week after getting introduced to Contra and Squares, I was calling them. Um, and so it was just kind of the next step to, to do that and to not just choreograph an evening, but to choreograph a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really am attracted to um, choreography, you know, figures and designs and geometries with, with people. And weekends really allow you to do a whole range of dances that you can't normally do at a, at a regular dance. So I think that was part of it. Um, now with COVID, like there's people who have all sorts of opinions about masks and vaccinations and stuff. And I, I just don't have strong opinions about all this. Um, I tend to be a somewhat of an anarchist about it. And if a group if a group wants to use gents and ladies and no masks somewhere, I, I don't feel the need to say anything about it um, on Facebook. Um, and if people think that the only way you should dance is through all these, the proof of vaccination and then masking, I don't have much to say about it. I just want to call. And so there have been some gigs that I haven't done because of COVID. There's been plenty of gigs that were canceled, but there were some gigs that were going to happen that I decided I didn't feel like I felt, I didn't feel ready for a while to call. Um, and so it's, 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 I'm kind of, I don't mean, I'm, I might be sounding evasive. I'm just all mixed about it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it, what pains me is some of the uh, um, of of the ways that social media frames discussions ar- around what we're doing, you know, with either masking or not, or Larkin Robbins versus Jensen Ladies versus positional and all this stuff. Um, so, being a caller now, though, I'm, I'll shift it a little bit. Being a caller now, it's like may you live in inter- interesting times. Yes, where's that quote from again? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. It's so, it's, we is are, it, it is bestowed <laughs> upon us. We are doing it's it. It's probably something from Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm so bad at, you know, right. 
Um, yeah, and I find it fascinating. Um, and I find it, um, I'm, I'm making my way through it. Um, and I don't have any answers. I really don't. Um, one of the things that I do take, if I take any pride at all, it's that I'm flexible and that, um, um, I do go into all these somewhat new situations. They're not completely new to me anymore because I've done weekends for so long now that I go out to California. I know a lot of the people I've called in the halls. Um, but especially when I was brand new, it's not up to me to tell you what your community should want in terms of role terms um, and then your mass policy. I mean, there's, a whole, there's that whole thing with epidemiology and, and, and COVID concentration rates and masking. I, 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 I'm a little dizzy with it all. Um, I mask a lot. And like I teach at a school in which I'm the only person in my building that's masking right now. But I take my mask off as a color. I don't know. I'm all over the place. Yeah. It's yeah. hard to navigate it. It's very hard. There's, yeah. yeah, there's, there's so many factors to weigh. And, you know, this is, yeah, this is on top of just some of the regular, um, you know, decisions and, and sort of cultural things uh, that various dance communities you know, put in place or choose to uphold. And I mean, it all kind of gets to this question of of what is the role as a call? What is your role as a caller? Right. right. As especially a traveling caller who's kind of yeah. stepping into all these different, yeah. different communities and um, that you, you're part, you're both part of and, and also not part of. I mean, right. there's, a, there's, I feel yeah. like these days, this larger identity of, of like the dance community, you yeah. know, this, this unity we feel b from all loving the same thing. Yeah. Um, but then there is so much variety and yeah. you, and you must see a lot of it as you're, as you're yeah. going back and forth. And so it sounds like, you know, it's a constant renegotiation of, of sort of your, your personal line. And then, and then also trying to tune into the, the landscape of, of wherever you are at the, at the moment. Yeah. Um, I think one of the, one, one thing that just popped in my head while you were talking is where are, where are you serving the dancers and where are you quote a dance leader? Um, and I, Going back to when we were talking earlier, I do my dance leadership, if you will, encouraging like um, good behavior or maybe stuff like that. I do it through humor. So like, for example, um, I am often say I'll, I'll go down on the floor and do a demo. And, um, you know, in a perfect world, I choose different kinds of people for the demo to sort of quietly signal diversity without telling the dancers that they should embrace diversity. Um, or I'll just, you know, the other night we had so many new dancers um, and I was simply showing what a pull-by was and a, and a big smile on my face and I go something to the effect of, um, well, you all know that yank is the bad word and tug is the good word, right? And so that's dance leadership. But it's 
couched in up energy and that the whole point of that suggestion is pleasure. Mm-hmm. It all goes back to pleasure, to connection. Like, so I was also like, you know, dance leadership is finding that moment in an evening. And I was at a, a dance with this like 70% new dancers. And so I jumped down at a certain point to remind people how, how to do a, a ballroom swing or the, whatever you call that. And, um, you know, I just talked about, again, like that the, um, this was a Larkson Robbins dance, so the Lark's right hand just kind of tugged the back instead of yanked it. But there was a kind of little bit of a tug, and then we did a little funny thing. And, um, but then I just stopped and said, the reason we want connection isn't some abstract idea. It's that beautiful balance of, I may not know you, but in this weird way, we're connected. And if you kind of tug a little bit rather than yank, you feel that connection and it feels good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it all goes back to pleasure. Um, the thing that I love about the times that we're in is consent. And I think that consent is um, genderless and it's all about people treating people well, but also just this habit now where it's like technique, like which side do you want to dance on? Do you twirl? Do you know, do you like this? Do you like... I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that communication. Yes. That, that's, that's in our present dance. Um, and, um, you know, this, the, the, the tension around role terms, it's a challenge to solve. It's like, I, it's, it's a, it's a really interesting time when I think there's a bunch of people who didn't feel like they had much of a voice, feel like they have more of a voice. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I always think of, um, the, the introduction to David Kaner's little caller calling for beginners by beginners, uh, booklet, which is sort of one of my foundational texts and his first, his first little introductory essay is just really about the importance of debate for for the health uh, and oh, and brilliant. success yeah. of of our society and world yeah. and world, yeah. um, and then sort of connecting that to to our dance communities as a space to, for um, you know safe and healthy debate. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know in days of yore the idiosyncratic nature of local dances didn't talk to other people a lot because there was no internet. Right. And now there's a new local, if you will, and it's Facebook or Instagram or whatever, you know, um, social media platform people are using. And so people are in each other's business more. So it's a little, little bumpy, and I think we're in a period. It, it all seems so much to us sometimes. But I think looking back on it, in, when in the future, when we look back on it, we'll say, oh, we were just figuring out how to do it. Yeah. It's essentially what we're doing. And we still are. We're, oh, totally. No, we're, we're ba- this is baby steps. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
Um, so talk to me a little bit about about choreography. You mentioned being drawn to to these, you know, patterns and and I think you said geometry. I have to say I'm I'm in your art studio and I'm 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 surrounded by some patterns and geometry. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious um, you know, how that interest plays out for you as a dancer and caller and does it connect to your to your painting career oh, or the rest of your creative that, that yeah. I just sort of asked two different questions yeah, so yeah. you can um, pick one to start yeah. but I think in terms of you know I write dances and simply put dance both roles does it feel good in your body to dance it again goes back to pleasure right goes back this to is pleasure. when you're writing well, yeah, I write dances. it and then I walk it out and then you test it. Yeah. Right? Does it feel good? Does it feel good? It's like kind of that simple. Um, and I'm fascinated by um, evolving a form. Like being a visual artist, um, the, the, one of the dramatic demands of artists, at least the way I've been an artist, is are you responding to the times you live in? Um, and, you know, choreography and contra dancing is like getting water out of stone. Like you don't, there's not that much you can do, but there's these little things that you can do. And um, I'm always curious about, again, contra dancers who go to dance, who dance all the time. They, it's what is, I don't remember the wedding thing. It's something old, something new, something blue, whatever it was. But, <laughs> but to me, it's, um, doing things that are super familiar, doing one or two things that are brand new, and then somewhere in between. And that's your sort of recipe for yes, but, 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 satisfying Yeah, like I think like as, program. A, as a contra dance weekend caller, I always try to bring two or three new things, a new dance or two. I think where what I don't do is to... Um, Try, try to impress. When I make a mistake in my life and when I make a mistake as a caller, it's there's some energy in there that I was trying to impress somebody. And so, so for example, I've, I've gotten two or three brand new figures from Michael First in, um, in the Midwest. He's written some really great dances. Um, and what I'll do is I'll present some of these new figures or transitions surrounded by glossary moves. And so everybody gets it. You know, I can do this, I can do this. And so it, it's just like, how much do you tax the mind versus not? And um, so, yeah, my recipe is a little bit like um, um, dancers will remain interested if it's pleasurable for their, for their bodies to move in space, if they get a little something new, and then they're reassured by something that they know. Um, one of the things about choreography, so you talk about, let's talk about me teaching art. When you teach art, and I teach painting and drawing, um, there's nowhere to hide. There's no secret test that you take and then hand in. There's no paper that you write that nobody sees. When you're in a room, there's just easels or drawing horses. Everybody sees what you're doing always. It's exactly like social dance. When you go out onto the floor, there's nowhere to hide. And one of the things that I'm fond of saying, I probably say it too much, but I'm fond of saying is through the microphone or I'm down doing a demo, 
Uh, we've got a lot of new folks here tonight. I do not see people who can't dance. I only see people who are awesome, who are brave to do something new in public space. Um, and so again, dance leadership, but kind of that's almost like preacher version rather than comedian, you know, or humor. Um, but that that is absolutely fundamental is dancers, humans do not want to be embarrassed. And none of us, none of us are beyond, completely beyond being 15. <laughs> Darn. Um, right. I'm certainly not. Um, and so all of my choices um, are informed by that. And so I write choreography and some of them, some of the dances are challenging, but a lot of them aren't. Like I write dances for problems that I need to solve. Like I wanted a Lark's chain or a Gent's chain um, dance that had um, revolving doors in it. And how could I do that so it was accessible? That's a little challenge because I had been to a bunch of dances, a bunch of weekends. I hadn't seen revolving doors in a long time. And I think that, you know, um, um, chaining from both sides is fun. So all of that goes into me think I love pattern. I love, love, love it. Um, and I love the idea that, you know, a star left seven eights is where you need to go, but you never say that to the dancers, right? I love that, that, that tension between exact choreography and then translating it into translating it as a caller to dancers. It's fa fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. So how much time do you spend crafting, crafting language to enable that translation mm -hmm. of, you know, describing physical movement with Sure. Words. Sure. Um, let me couple that with deconstructing the authority of the caller. I'm going to couple the two. So before COVID, I was calling Epicenter. And there was a dance that Seth wrote, Seth Tepper wrote, and I forget the name of it. It's like something Pam, maybe it's for his wife, or it's, it's, a, it's one and a half times to a tune. Um, and I never called it. And I balanced the bay. And I just said through the microphone, you know, I've always been too insecure to call this. Uh, and I'm not like crying or anything. It's like normal voice, you know, I'm like up, I meet me, and, you know, um, I'm, and, 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 you know, um, and I'm really insecure and I'm going to call it now. And I'm really hoping that you could all help me. Right. And in a weird way, I think of that as sort of dance leadership. It's like I'm modeling being a 15-year-old, like, I'm just a little insecure here right now. Yeah. I'm not falling apart. I'm not losing the room. You know, it's not one of those awkward moments where everybody's like, you know, feeling, no, I'm not losing it. But I'm using language. But I'm also telling the truth. I, We all know as callers that sometimes we're just insecure to do something, right? And, you know. Um, and so... That's deconstructing the authority of the caller and in a weird way, creating a new way to be an authority or, or to, to have confidence is the confidence to just, you know, like last at Contra Carnival, just two or three weeks ago, I got up to call. I was I was calling Saturday morning, second session Saturday morning. I hadn't called yet. And I said, well, most of you know my calling, but some of you don't. Um, I have learned so much from you to how to craft words. 
And I am all ears if you want to suggest what I should have said or I shouldn't have said. So I just make what is oftentimes unspoken. I speak it out. I put it out in public space. It works for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, I just called in Florida and I said, I'm running this new dance out. I, had, I didn't write it. No, actually, I wrote it. But the cool figure is written by Michael First. And let's just think of this as a collective, going back to when I first started. Iowa, yeah. You know, let's just think of this as a collective where we all figure this out together. And then everybody's in on it. It was 30 dancers, but everybody was in on it. um, And it was fun. Mm -hmm. I had worked the words out really carefully, but I'm totally up for them not being the best words. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're... you're both managing your expectations and and everyone else's expectations. Yeah. You're kind yeah. of putting giving everyone a lot a lot more agency. Yes, and if I was really honest, because you know therapy is all ends up being about the self. I'm making a safe place for myself to feel that way at the microphone, which is also about trying to feel as good as possible. Yeah, for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So choreography is what we do. It's essentially what dancers do. And was was that fun? Um, And by writing dances um, and dancing both roles to write them and, you know, just dancing both roles anyway, um, it's really, it's really fascinating when one role isn't quite as much fun as the other. And that usually doesn't stay in a dance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a little bit like, so you want to talk about editing and like art, you know, like there's a painting behind you where I knew that it wasn't good enough. I sanded it down and I knew that was going to be another three months. Right. It's having that, forgive the pun, the willpower <laughs> to, to, to get it right. You know, yeah. and, um, and if a dance is 95% good, but that 5%, there's so many great contra dances, then I don't want to keep that dance. Mm-hmm. So, that, so you know, I'm a worker. I'm a maker. I make things, and I like to work. I'm not a chit-chatter. Um, and so for me, it, it's fascinating because I can be in my studio all alone, walk it all out, write it down, try to come up with the words, Um and then maybe get dancers to try it, like a little private thing. But oftentimes now, I'll just say over the mic, I've never done this dance. Are you up for something new? And everybody cheers and we do it as a group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you mostly write contras? Do you write squares? Hmm, interesting. Uh, I mostly write contras. Um, I'm writing a bunch of squares we're using the word problem a lot. Let's, maybe we, we could shift. We could be new agey and use the word opportunity. But there's there's things that happen that I think, ooh, I need a dance for that. Now, have a gazillion dances, both contras and squares, been written? Absolutely. But I'll tell you, getting water out of that stone, there are these moments. You know, so for example, I love the traditional call was Lady Round 2 and the Gen Drop Through. You could do... Um, Robin round two and the lock drop two, if you want to change your language. You can also teach it super carefully 
And then hopefully if the dancers would remember and you could start doing the active couple go around two and drop through. You could probably get away. I haven't done that yet, but here's an example. We all know that contra dancers like to be busy. So instead of ones to the twos and then ones to the threes and ones to the fours in a square dance, I'm writing, the, I'm, I'm modifying Southern squares to heads go out to the right, right? So everybody's, to the left. everybody's moving. Everybody's moving. Circle to the left, star left, go the other way back. Now the heads go around two and drop through, right? Then you have to configure something in between that, get them promenading, and then the sides go out to the right. Um, why am I doing that? I'm, I, I, think, I think it will be pleasurable for contra dancers, and I love Southern squares, and I love that figure. Mm -hmm. So it's it's trying to come up with something for that. One interesting note is that I have found that since COVID, and I say shouldn't say since COVID because we're still in COVID, but since we're back dancing, people don't mind standing around as much. And so I have done some traditional Southern squares and there's like a roar from the group. Now I do one, you know, or two in an entire weekend, maybe. I, I know my audience. Um, but, you know, I've been running out triplets um, and I've been doing more squares. I think people are a little more open. So choreography, again, it's noticing from the mic what would might be fun and what could be interesting and then going about writing it. Mm -hmm. But I haven't, I haven't like figured figured out there's like four or five of those squares I haven't quite got there yet but yeah and so you're you're trying to write squares that contra dancers will mm -hmm. will enjoy and I yeah. think of that all that's another you know when I think of will mentor I think of of just passionate about yeah. squares yeah. and and yeah. um and so how how did that evolved? Did they always, you know, were they always kind of high on the list for you? If you go back to Ted's books, the two books, they're half squares, half contra. Yeah. And I was in a bubble in Iowa. No one knew us. I didn't know the world. So I just did 50% squares, 50% contra the very first night I called. Mm -hmm. And so remember I was telling you that when I first started calling every Wednesday night, it was crazy. We, it was, you know, it's like we had never eaten before. Um, and so it was, um, I would do half squares. I'd do an hour of squares, an hour of contra. I'd mix it. But you get good after a while. Like, you kind of know how to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and I love square. I love, I, I love square dancing. I like doing it as much as calling it. Yeah. Um, and you, I mean, you've put work into, um, into keeping uh, or finding ways to, to grow interest and appreciation for square dance. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've been part of, there's a, there's a, in addition to the contra dance world, I'm card carrying member in the old time worlds. Right. And yeah. so, um, um, you know, uh, and what, what does that look like, uh, for you? What, how sure. how are you in the old time world? Sure. Well, it's a squareness caller, um, and and so you know, um, 
I mean, it's a little bit as an organizer. If you remember, it was a bunch of years ago that we had that square dance. I kind of just started one with Pete. Here, at, right, here in, in Vermont. Winooski. In Winooski. It was like in, in the monkey yeah. bar. Yeah. Um, and I encouraged all of the movers and shakers who were like 30 years younger than me um, to like, I, I remember I was down at um, um, this, um, I just know him as Joe Bass, it's Joe Dejeuner, his house in Floyd, Virginia. And there was all these young folks. And I just said, if you want me to come down here and teach you how to call this stuff, I'll do it for nothing. I, I don't need to get paid. And then Anna Roberts Javalt was in the room. And the next year she had a Dare to be Square at Reiner, uh, Virginia, in Reiner, Virginia. And the entire weekend was like there were how to call square dances. People were teaching Michael Smario and I did a little teaching and um, Phil Jameson did some teaching. Um, and there's been a, been a lot of Dare to be Squares where it's like all day you're learning how to call squares. It's great. And I taught at those a lot. Um, right now, as we speak, um, Becky Hill, um, uh, an old, amazing old time, she's a great square dance caller, but an incredible like flat footer and clogger. And um, we're creating, she, she's spearheading a zine on, um, at the moment, it's probably not completely accurate, but suffice it to say that at the moment, let's just call it, it's a gender-free square dance scene. Wow. And is it is it going to be, is it a single? Uh, single zine. Single zine. So. Yeah, right now. Yeah. She got a grant and a bunch of us are going to contribute to it. So that's how I'm, I'm involved. Like, so partly as an organizer, but mostly um, as a square dance enthusiast. Mm -hmm. It's great because... You can do an entire night easy with people right off the street and you can get them dancing within two minutes and you don't even have, you don't really need roll terms. A lot yeah, of that stuff. You can just get right to it. It's just ones and twos and corners and partners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, ones, twos, threes, and fours or heads and sides. Yeah. You're describing sort of coming from this time when you know, it, it was just a dance. It would be, would be maybe 50-50 contras and squares. Yeah. You could go to a contra dance, and of course there would be squares, or maybe it, it would be called a square dance and there would be contras there. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, we just, especially in the contra dance scene, sort of the modern contra dance scene, there's, there's um, really this dichotomy sure. that's emerged. Sure. Um, and some people are really, some people who, who are sort of native to to them being more interchangeable and sort of mutually <clears throat> mutually appreciated, um, like really experience that shift as a wound or, or like mm. it's very sad. Yeah. And you know, you, I see you as taking a really active role to just sort of find a way through that. But is it, you know, do you have emotions that come up mm. around I it? I don't. Yeah. Um, I'm too late. I was too late for that. Um, <laughs> what do you mean? I, I think that when, when like, when contra dances just typically always had squares and like you know there was Tony and Phil Jameson and um, Kathy Anderson and Lisa Greenleaf and they were all calling a lot earlier than me. Got it. I just cruised in the mid '90s, and and I have no. I have, hmm, I, I, this is. It's probably going to get me in trouble, but 
I don't have a big allegiance to tradition. I mean, I kind of do. I kind of do, and I know it, and I've made it my business. You know, I mean, I called up Ted Sinella every week, you know, and I've talked to Tony Parks, and I, um, I, I'm very interested in tradition. But I want that night in front of me to be fun for those people. Mm-hmm. And I'm also an artist, you know, and I was in the New York art world, and that was like, you know, you kind of like kill the Buddha, you know, to move on. Um, and so I'm not precious. Um, and, you know, um, Larry Edelman said something that I found really helpful. I was at a Square Dance College workshop with him in the 90s, and he said, mix up the traditions, just know what you're mixing up. That's me. Yeah. So, for example, my my latest signature square dance I do all the time is Uptown Downtown, one of the simplest of all simples. But now, and it's it's proven to be welcomed, and it's working in this contra dance um, milieus that I find myself in. I just put a really simple, simple, simple Alamandar early Western break on it, and everybody's happy. Um, and um, so, no, I, I, I have to say that I feel unburdened. Um, but I, I, I'm going to repeat that. But know what you're mixing. Because I am an historian also. Like, oh, during COVID, I have so many, I have all of these um, PowerPoints that I've been looking into the history of the banjo. I have this whole thing on, um, on fine art and social dance. I have all these paintings, you know, that, you know, there's all these PowerPoints. Um, I'm fascinated by all of that. But my job in 2023 on any given night is to make that night fun. And I, I you know, I, I do it by sometimes deconstructing the collar. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, I, I do things like I break some rules. Like when I was calling in Paris and there was a language, you know, just crazy language problem. I mean, no one, you know, I didn't see it as a promise, as an opportunity, but what did I do? I did like almost the same dance, like five or six times in a row. I just built off the simple base and it was a really successful night, you know? And I think that when you have, if you're, if you have 50% brand new dancers and I, I was calling on New Year's Day in Saratoga Springs and we were a stop on this thing where anybody could just come in off the street and dance. Repeating things was the right thing to do. Whereas if you're at a dance week and I'm calling in Greenfield, I don't repeat things. But if you circle left three quarters, pass through and do si do a new neighbor four times in a row to progress the dance, I think what happens is the experienced dancers realize, oh wow, like we're actually dancing rather than He's doing the progression different each time. And it's hard each time because it's new for these people who've never done it before. Yeah. You know? um, but when I'm in another dance that's a real serious series and we get a lot of new folks, then I'm going to kind of mix it up and do heavy teach because I'm preparing them for the next week. And you see what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's so there's no set rules for me other than that gig that I'm calling right now should be fun. (laughs) 
This is a theme I'm like hammering. You don't even know you have these themes until you do these interviews. <laughs> should feel, should be fun, should feel good, should yeah. be pleasurable. Yeah. 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 Including the band. Yeah. You know, like us callers know that, right? Yeah. Are they tired? Are they, you know, what's, how's that going? Yeah. How do you take care of the band? Well, one of the things that I say when I teach calling is don't piss off the band, don't piss off the band, don't piss off the band. Um, when the band's not happy, I just think, I don't think of myself as like new agey, but I have these new agey moments. And my new agey moment is when the band's not happy, the energy in the room is probably not as good. Do I know that? No. Do I think it? Yes. So I try to check in with bands. Um, and, you know, there's, I, they're probably not going to listen to this podcast, but if they do, they know who I'm talking. There's one band that got upset with me because I would suggest music to them. Oh, and like specific. So tips. many bands want me to talk about the music. And this particular musician said, you know about the dances. We know the music. Just tell us about the dance. I actually found that to be super helpful. Yeah. Right. Um, but other bands are like, well, what should we play? And I'm like, you know, and I, anyway. Um, and so for that band, I'll just tell them about the dance. Yeah. You know, I do my best to remember. Um, but I think it's, it's little things. And you know, this as a caller, it's like, if you do a no walkthrough, then maybe you don't want to do two in a row or three in a row because then their fingers get really tired and it sucks for them. Um, right. So that kind of stuff. Yeah. Nice. But also just, you know, and it's so, you know, this, I mean, callers and bands, oh my gosh, we could do a whole thing. Some bands just think I'm the cat's meow because after like the first three or four, I just say, well, what do you feel like playing? But then there's been some musicians who are like, aren't you in control? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean us? Like, you, sh you know, you know what I mean? And then, then they start to worry that I'm some sort of like flip floppy or something. Who's driving this thing? Who's driving this bus? Yeah. 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 Uh, but it has to be fun for them. I think one of the themes, if I was going to sort of look back at myself as a caller, just say it to the dancers. Just say it to the band. Just say it to the organizer. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling insecure or you have a question or, you know. And, you know, one of the things that I, one word that goes a long way is consider. Consider. Like, would you consider doing this? Would you? It gives everybody an out. Yeah. Being a caller is a little bit like being a diplomat. Right? Yeah. Yes. So. Now swing your partner down the line. Everybody swing and everybody whirl. Now promenade, eat, go around the world, and you take a little walk in a two by two. partner courtesy turn ladies to the center and back to the bar gents go in with a right hand star hold on pick up your own with an arm around now 
Four ladies, you turn back. Alabama left on the corner. There's your partner. Pull right by Grand Right and left. And you meet your partner down the line. You swing me. You're doing fine. So I have three questions that I usually close with. Um, One of the things I find so interesting about callers is we are often sort of keepers of dance history, of dance notation and choreography. And so I I am interested in tracking how different callers um, tend to their collections of dances. So how, how do you keep or categorize or organize your dances? I use Microsoft Word. <laughs> um, Do they sponsor you? No, no, I'm not a, um, um, what's the word? What's Excel? What are those things called? Spreadsheets. I'm not a spreadsheet person. <laughs> I'm not that. Um, um, I saw Tony Parks sitting in Fairfield, Iowa during that weekend we had him sitting with beautiful posture with a yellow legal pad, writing out his program. And I asked him later and he said it was a way for him to prepare, you know, to, to just the act of writing. Um, and um, I love that. I'm not that person, but I really loved it. Um, no, I have everything on um, a Mac Air. And I travel, all of my dances are backed up about four times. I've even gone to the extent of like, I have two non-moving parts, solid state hard drives, you know, that kind of stuff. And I update it a lot. I, I'm not lazy about um, backing it up. Um, and what's great about um, the computer is that I can be in a really dark space and it lights up. So I can always see my, my cards. Um, you know, what I've, found out, you know, like since I've been calling a huge amount, often I'm not, I I don't even think about it, but I'm not even looking at the computer when I'm calling. It's just by the wayside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's so great. So great as a tool and everything's alphabetical to me. So that's, so when you're making a program, you're just thinking of dance titles, which you can. Okay. It's interesting. No, I mean, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that would have been a perfect, that's a perfect follow-up. It's not just about, um, it's not just alphabetized. Thank you for asking that. Or, um, so I have this single word document. It's like 25, 26 pages long. And it's organized in categories that you would understand, but also some idiosyncratic categories. Um, for example, one category is balances in the A one's balances in the B. Um, and what it is, is do you remember um, Zesty Contras, how it was notated? It was like a, a, almost like really... Yeah, Larry so, Jennings had this really particular shorthand. And I have a similar initialization of all the figures. And so this 25 to 26 page Word document that's ever growing um, is eight point font in... Um, um, Times New Roman, and it's 
like one dance could maybe be in like five or six different categories, but it's imagine imagine that 25 or six 25 pages with eight point font. Um, and so, for example, bounces in the A, or, or it could just say Mad Robin. Um, one I have I have a right hand chain, left hand chain, you know, stuff like that, and then things like latest dances, and that's at the top. But wherever the category is, they're alphabetized. And so, you know, instead of flipping through a book, sometimes I just flick my fingers and that document is flying by because I know I want to get down to weave the line and it's way the heck down there. Um, and then in folders, I have a Microsoft Word document for each dance, just like a dance card. So, and I do that for contra, squares, triplets, family dance. I, then, so I have those folders. So there's, what it's just, so it's, the, the folder says dance. And then when I update it in February, it'll say February 23. Open up the folder and then these folders, one's contra dance, one's square, one's triplets, one's, you know. And then there's this, a bunch of things like bio or photos, stuff like that. And then, so that sort of master list is like an index, mm -hmm. a dance index. That I can quickly go to. And when I make mistakes in walkthroughs, it's often with dances that I've written and I don't bother to go to the card. And the reason is, is because when I write dances, I will do variations. And sometimes it's a Beckett left, but maybe you do this and boop, 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 over here, it's a Beckett right. And sometimes I conflate the two in my head. And, you know, the dancers look at me like, you know, this didn't work. Um, so it takes a little discipline to go from the index to the actual page. And, and I, you know, sometimes okay. I'm better at it and other times I'm not. Nice. But it's all my own. It's my almost always my own dances that I write that I screw up the walks through. That's yeah. the yeah. There's something poetic about that. It's poetic, but it's also I have four variations in my head and I'm mixing them up. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any pre or post gig rituals? Things uh -huh. that you do before or after a gig? <laughs> Should I be honest? Yeah. <laughs> almost every gig. Almost every gig. I say to myself, why did I book this? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> what am I doing in the car right now? Why am I on this airplane? Um, and it's, I used to think that, it's, you know, it's, it's making up for being nervous. It's not really making up for being nervous anymore. It's just, you have to get up and out into the world and some, especially with COVID, we got kind of used to being cozy in our house. Um, and then, and then I get to the hall. And I mean, I'm not like raging or anything, but I'm like, kind of kvetching, you know, it's kind of mild, you know, um, but people who know me just laugh they don't roll their eyes even it's because it's gentle, but I'm like, Oh, my God, I'm just and then the joke is, who books my day? I've got to get rid of my booker. Wait a minute, it's me. Um, but then I get there and it warms up and then the music starts and the first dance happens. Um, and I, I'm, and I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm really, I, I, I mean, I really mean this after about five minutes, 
I can't remember a gig that I just didn't like. Because every gig has its own personality and its own set of like choices that one needs to make. Yeah, I love that. Post dance, I used to, I know I'm off dairy now because I just get too congested from it. I used to I love chocolate milk after, after the gig. Um, a lot of gigs, it would be pretty awesome to have, again, nachos have cheese, but like cheeseless nachos, you know, and a beer, I'm good with that. A burger, like something kind of substantial. I, 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 I like the idea of grapes or a salad after calling is not the thing. <laughs> no. It's, yeah, it's kind of like food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you expend yeah. some energy up there. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, I'm very familiar with that pre-gig sequence. Mm. It's very similar to yeah. my own. And yeah. Uh, yeah. and thankfully, there's just the the repetition of of having so many experiences in the past where I was like, no, I, I remember when I got on stage and it was all okay. And so that'll exactly. probably happen again. Exactly. Um, last question are you an introvert or an extrovert, oh. if you know? Um, uh, I guess I'm both. Is it an ambivert? Yeah, this is a thing, definitely. I mean, I don't know how to answer that because I'm clearly extroverted in public. But if you know anything about Ayurveda, I'm a Vada. And Vadas get stirred up by music, get stirred up by conversation, get stirred up by driving the car at 65 miles an hour. And so um, um, I think it it gets exacerbated a little bit because people are talking and there's music and blah, blah, blah. And, my, and the wind is like, Vada is like very windy. And I just, whoa. And I sometimes I just get, occasionally I get too amped up and I, and I you know, there's that voice in your head, like, you know, maybe dial it back. Um, I don't know what I am alone. I mean, I'm alone a huge amount and I'm very happy to be alone because um, I'm an artist and I work alone a lot. And, you know, when COVID hit, um, I was kind of happy to be in my house alone with all the caveats of how bad COVID was. It was kind of good for me. Mm. So I guess I don't know if that answers your question, but I'm definitely I know a lot of introverts on stage. I don't think I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get super embarrassed occasionally by what I say over the microphone. Like, oh, my God, like something will come out of my mouth. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I've learned to not dwell on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I asked because um, I think I asked that question because, you know, being a caller is such a particular way of being with people. Yeah. And so it's I like I'm I'm curious about individual people's sort of propensities around around you know being with with a group and yeah. introvert extrovert is sort of one set of categories that are sort of yeah. out there in the world. It's cool to think about Ayurveda, which is like an Indian yeah it's yeah sort it's, of, a, it's a health system. It's like Vata Pitta Kapha, and you know Pittas are the fiery, and Kapha is like slower and. And Vada is like me. It's kind of airy and quick. Yeah, yeah. So it just sort of and, describes. In, in an ideal world, we're like completely balanced between all three, but it doesn't often happen. 
Right. We're, yeah. we're often moving between one or the other, which yeah. I think is is now more how people how introvert and intro, uh, introvert and extrovert are in kind of more understood as like a spectrum now, I think, too. Yeah. And like, you know, just think of um, the difference in delivery between Lisa Greenleaf, Sis Hinkle, George Marshall and me all of the same age. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean. You know, that's to me when I I was teaching calling and someone said, one of the students said like midweek, another caller said we should adopt a personality. And I was taken aback by this um, because, you know, I think people assume, uh, think, uh, you know, associate me with my orange glasses, but I never thought about it. When I, you know, they, they, they had nothing to do with my calling. And so I, I said, can I get back to you in about Friday? I just said, I think a caller's personality should grow out of the person as you do it. And one of the things that I realize is that as I've done this more, even if I haven't, quote, prepared, I'm already prepared. I know this material. I've done it so much now. Um, that it lends itself to a kind of ease at the microphone. I don't really get, I don't get, I get like, I get manageable nervous. Like, like I was saying earlier, I could just say over the microphone, I'm a little nervous now because I've never called this and can you all, but that's not like nervousness owning you. Yeah. There's a difference. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. But then the other part of it is, boy, Callers, some callers are quieter and it's lovely. Some callers are noisy and it's great. And, you know, some callers can lift a room. Other callers, like, keep the room kind of, you know, quiet. But, you know, it's a, it's a, it, it's, there's different. One of the things that I tell my art students is it's not about good or bad. It's about choices. If you choose blue, you're going to invite this kind of experience. If you choose yellow, you're going to invite this kind of experience. And I think me as a dancer, for example, when other callers are calling, I just want to experience their thing. I don't want, I don't, it doesn't need to be my way. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. That's great, great to talk yeah. with you. Thanks again to Will for talking with me. Check out the show notes at podcasts.cdss.org to learn more. This project is supported by CDSS, the Country Dance and Song Society, and is produced by Ben Williams and me, Mary Wesley. Thanks to Great Meadow Music for the use of tunes from the album Old New England by Bob McQuillan, Jane Orzachowski, and Deanna Stiles. Visit podcasts.cdss.org for more info. Happy dancing. The views expressed in this podcast are of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect those of CDSS.